Becca did a great job of recapping where we've been in this series, the Bold series, looking at life after Jesus' resurrection in the life of the church. Um, and I want to encourage you, if what we say today is like, whoa, 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 hold on, uh, you need to go back and listen to the first three because they're all connected, because they're all headed somewhere. Uh, that, new, that new power, that new life, that new conflict, all points in one direction. And as simply as I can put it, the church's new resolve, their determination, their decision-making, their, set, their settledness, their conclusion, their fixed purpose was to obey Jesus. Like, I, I don't know how to creatively say that. <laughs> I don't know how to put lights behind it or explosions or capture your attention or your dreams or your vision, but... That was their resolve. They had decided that to obey Jesus and where he pointed them after he rose from the dead was the most important thing that they could do. And this morning we're, we're talking about this one purpose to obey him. And I've always been told that when Jesus repeats himself, pay attention. And I love that when he, before his death, he did repeat himself often on certain things. And so I'm like, wow, I wonder how important that is. But he repeated himself after he rose from the dead as well. And I'm sitting there going, okay, it, he doesn't have much time to hang out with the disciples left. And so he's repeated himself a bunch of times after he's died. And it's amazing that his rep, what he repeats is, don't be afraid, peace be with you, and go. Don't be afraid, Peace be with you and go. You know why he said don't be afraid and peace be with you? Because we are scared to death to go. <laughs> we are scared to death to put into practice the things Jesus asked us to do. We are afraid of all that could come with living as Jesus asked us to live. And so, after he rose from the dead, he chose to say... Don't be afraid, and peace be with you, a bunch of times. But he also said, go. Matthew chapter 28, very familiar verses that many of you might be able to quote. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, okay, so because he has been given all authority in heaven and on earth, now... Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit... Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. In that statement, he just said, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. <laughs> well, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, I'll be with you. But I don't know how to do that. I'll be with you. I don't know where to do I'll be with you. Don't be afraid. Peace be with you. Go. In Acts chapter 1, after he'd been hanging out with his disciples for a few days after his resurrection, he says these words in, in Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power, there's the new power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying these things, Jesus ascends to heaven. And he leaves the plans in the hands of uneducated fishermen ragamuffins. See, if I was Jesus, my exit plan would be to ascend in stages. 
Like, I would kind of ascend about 30 feet above the air, above the earth, and walk around and be like, nope, that's not what I said to do. No, okay, so you're kind of learning a little bit better. I will ascend a little bit more and get to 60 feet. Man, guys, are we still dealing with this? No, stop, 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 stop. Don't do that. What are you doing? What? Why are you building that? I didn't say to do that. Oh, man. Okay, now I see you working a little bit hard. Okay, I will send a little bit more. You know, I, I, I would have had stages involved in my ascension, but he didn't. He just went and he handed it to us and said, go. He said, go. Now, if, if, you're, if you're like me, I love to read through the scriptures and I just like to take notes on things. And um, I want to show you, I took, I went through the book of Acts again several times this series And I just started paying attention to and writing down everything the church committed themselves to doing. And it's a really long list. And it's a beautiful list. And it's terrifying. It is a beautiful list of the things that they committed themselves to do. It is the most life-giving book to read. And I'm telling you, if you are a skeptic to the church and what you have seen today, and you use this skepticism to hide behind, to not follow Jesus, I, I dare you to read the book of Acts. I dare you to sit with me and read the book of Acts and come up with excuses about, well... So overprogrammed, and so this, and so that, and there's buildings, and they're not. I dare you to sit with me and read through the book of Acts. I dare you to grab somebody in this room and read through the book of Acts. It is the most beautiful picture you will read, and it is the most terrifying picture you will see. Just to mention a few things as, as reading through the book of Acts, they. They were devoted to proclaiming Jesus, instructing people, sharing of what they had, worshiping together, meals together. They were generous to their communities. They paid attention to the poor and the sick. They prayed for boldness to share Jesus. They were united. They paid attention to widows. They had a desire to live with a right heart before God. They wanted to hear his voice. They were regularly praying. They weren't playing favorites. They provided relief to other churches. Like they thought of other churches and said, we see them struggling, so we want to help. What in the world? Prayed for believers in prison like that was a part of their life. They, they were intentional about giving glory to God. Like they want, it was a part of who they were to go, no, 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 do not look at us. This is because God has chased after you. There were men, okay, get this. <laughs> there were men committed to singing worship together and fasting together. They were men committed to singing worship and fasting, going without what they wanted. What in the world? Like, I dare you to read through the book of Acts. They were glad. They were thankful. They were filled with joy. They suffered together. They stayed in one place for a really long time, yet they also, as they went, made disciples. Where they went, they were in the process of saying, this is the gospel, and it doesn't matter where I am. This is the message I get to deliver. They reasoned with those who weren't believers. Have you ever reasoned with someone who's not a believer as to why they should believe? Have you ever gotten into a conversation and go, no, the point of my existence is to persuade you to follow Jesus. 
Like why I'm here and what I'm doing is, is made for. Yes, he's given me these skills. Yes, he's given me these talents. But what I'm here to do is to persuade you to hand your life to the one who gives life. That's why I'm here. They persuaded those who weren't believers, but they strengthened those who were. When was the last time you strengthened a believer? When was the last time you just sat with someone who was hurting and you didn't just go, woe is you. You said, but Jesus is better. He's stronger. He's ever present. He's all knowing. He's with you. When was the last time you did that? They guarded each other against false teaching. When was the last time you stood in front of a believer and said, that's wrong? When was the last time you sat in front of a believer and said, if you keep going down that road, it's going to destroy you? They did this regularly with each other. Their allegiance was only to Jesus and to no other king. They wanted people to know and grow in the ways of Jesus. All this to obey him and make disciples. If you've been one who's been skeptical about the church in America and used it to fuel your skepticism, I dare you to read the book of Acts. It is a beautiful and terrifying picture at the same time. Simply because the world really did hate them. And the number of times you will read through the book of Acts and go, I don't understand why they're so mad. They didn't do anything. They didn't hurt anyone. They hadn't done anything to to cause any trouble. All they did was say, Jesus is the Son of God. And people hated them. And Jesus said they would. It's the most beautiful, life-giving picture and the most terrifying at the same time. But what happened, honestly, the farther away you get from God's mission, the less like God's church you will look. The farther away you get from God's mission, the less like God's church you will look. The less like these characteristics that we just read, we will not look like this when we wander and choose other missions for ourselves and for his bride. The farther we get from his mission, the less like his church we will look. You know, they say in the, in the business world and in the nonprofit sec, uh, sector, the farther from the founder you get, time, proximity, all of those things, the farther from the original mission you get, the original founder, the farther from the mission you actually can find yourself. An organization or an individual can set out to do one thing, and then over time, because of pressures or money or, or struggles, you, you kind of hand control over to other people, and you begin to feel the changes and going, wait, that's not what I, that's not what I meant And it's interesting because in my pocket, I feel the weight of a vision changed. For those of you that have an iPhone, since Mr. Jobs left this earth, I've gotten more frustrated with this. Right? I'm like, Mr. Jobs would not approve of this change. I don't know Steve, but I know he would not have liked this. What I'm holding in my pocket is a brick. It is not a phone. It is not allowing me to connect. It is clunky. It's not pretty anymore. It's not streamlined like Mr. Jobs would have it. 
But they say in the business world, the Harvard Business Review wrote an article, and this is what they were, they were suggesting. Founders eventually realize that their financial resources, ability to inspire people, and passion aren't enough to enable their ventures to capitalize fully on the opportunities before them. They invite family members and friends, angel investors, or venture capital firms to invest in their companies. In doing so, they pay a heavy price. They often have to give up control over the enterprise. Most founders surrendered their management long before the company went public. Jesus did. Right? He handed it to ragamuffins. He handed it to people who didn't get it. He handed it to people who were still confused. And he entrusted that the Holy Spirit would fuel us to accomplish what he set out to do. Um, Peter Greer, uh, the president and CEO of Hope International, says it this way. Rarely... Was there a dramatic boardroom showdown when an organization changed course? Rather, it was the accumulated impact of small decisions that led to drift. Organizations that stood the test of time and scaled while remaining mission true were fanatical about the small things and proactively reinforced their identity and purpose. Mission drift. You know, and they kind of give a couple of ways to avoid mission drift. And the first suggestion to understanding is, could we have drifted? Amazingly simple question, but could we actually be doing what we want to do over what Jesus has asked us to do? So subtle, such a simple question, but he says most people don't ask it. Most people don't ask, could we have drifted from what we should have been doing? And the second one, he mentions understanding the difference between your means and your mission. And he talked about the YMCA and how the YMCA started as this Bible study invitation to keep young men, youth off the street and get, from getting in trouble. And they just happened to use basketball and sports and, 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 and all this different stuff as means for that mission to make disciples, the Young Men Christian Association. Well, what happened with the YMCA is, have you ever been drawn into a Bible study when you've walked into, anyone, anyone in this room? No, in fact, if you were, you'd be offended, right? You'd be mad that someone would suggest, come read your Bible with me in a public place. I'm here to play basketball. That's what you're saying. Let me put my old man white sneakers on, my old man tall socks, and let me go play basketball. Don't invite me to Bible study. See, what happened was the YMCA got confused and the means became their mission. Their means became their mission. See, this is why I love that in this church there will be people who are advocates for social justice, racial reconciliation, orphan care, widow care. All of these things will start to happen as we stick to our mission, and that is to make disciples. See, if our mission becomes only this or only that, disciples may not be made. Have you thought about that? Have you thought that if we take a means and make it our mission, we actually drift from what Jesus said to do? But if we do what Jesus says to do, these means become beautiful outlets to see the kingdom swell around us. The church's resolve was to obey Jesus, to make disciples, 
to grow people in their faith. The grace of our Lord Jesus. Sometimes we make hard decisions because of that. You know, he said for the, church, for the businesses to make steps ahead, they had to take board recruitment seriously. Very simply because guardians of the mission or if a few wrong-placed board members who do not share your full mission, they can have a dramatic impact on leading an organization in another direction. Divide the team, shatter the mission. You know, he, they also saw, talked about how making hard decisions early on will allow you to stay close to mission. Boy, I'm telling you, having lived in Asheville for almost 11 years now, we are continually pressed as a church to change who we are. We are continually pushed and pressed upon to be more than something than Jesus asked us to be, to do things that Jesus didn't ask us to do, to cave to things that Jesus didn't say, you should be caving to this. We have been pushed and pushed and pushed, and it actually becomes easier to make hard decisions when you make hard decisions early on. And it's interesting because one of the last steps he said to avoid mission drift is to actively plan for your replacement. It's making disciples. It's making disciples. That's what it is. You know, because passion of the first generation, if not passed on, becomes a preference for one generation, and then it actually becomes irrelevant to a third generation. All of this, all of this was about the church being able to say, no, we will obey Jesus. And he said to go and make disciples. Sometimes the church can be so inwardly focused or confused about what we're to do in a city that you become paralyzed or overwhelmed by it. And I love, I love the Hobbit stories, and, and I don't care if you say you should stop talking about Tolkien and all his stuff because Relevant Magazine said you should stop talking about that stuff. Whatever. I don't care. All right? I love... When they're in Mirkwood and Bilbo's climbing the tree and he has to come above the tree line to actually take a breath for a second because of all the spiders and the danger that's below. And the, the, the woods mess with your brain and you actually start th- seeing things and caring about things that aren't really there. And Bilbo climbs the tree and when he comes up above the tree line, he takes this big breath. He's like... And he looks out over the tree line and he's like, Guys! I can see where we're going. I can see where we need to go. Guys? And he doesn't just walk on top of the tree line anymore. He actually goes back down into the woods to help them remember, hey, this, we're not supposed to stay in these woods. We're supposed to head out of these woods. We're supposed to go somewhere together. Sometimes it takes getting above that noise of the culture and everything else that is speaking so loudly in our lives to take a breath and go, Lord, have I drifted from what you have created me to do? I've got to take that deep breath because if I don't, I'm going to stay in the forest. I'm going to wander. I'm going to keep my head down. I'm going to get confused by things that should not be confusing. I'm going to be, be committed to things that aren't important. And I'm going to waste my life and eventually end up as spider food. No one wants to end there. Though anchored in a fantasy world, these stories are directly connected to yours and my reality. 
They're incredibly well-drawn-out pictures of the struggle each of us face to live in light of our Creator. The struggle isn't against people or things or stuff, but the struggle is actually believing that our identity is wrapped up in God's mission. Who we are is totally and completely wrapped up in the mission of God. God doesn't need each individual church to come up with a mission, as creative as we can be. God is on a mission, and that mission has a church. God has a mission, and that mission has a church. It's not that the church needs to sit around and go, what should our mission be? Our actual question is, how do we engage in the mission that God is up to? How do we step in and be a part of what God is wanting to do with humanity? And what he's wanting to do is reconcile all humanity to himself through faith in Christ. He's wanting people to come home to him. And they don't know how to come home. They don't know how to come home. How am I stepping into that mission where I am? How do I create margin to be a part of that mission? Do you have any margin in your life? Or have you let your schedule tell you how to live your life? So the invitation to live on mission just weighs you down. It may be time to let the kingdom start taking up space in your life. It may be time to cut ties with things that are killing you. The powerful combinations of words that Jesus spoke, peace be with you, don't be afraid, go. Go, peace be with you, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, go, peace be with you. The bedrock of our resolve is what Jesus promised would happen. That he would be with us even until the end of the age. This resolve to obey Jesus flows from love. I was actually talking to a student in Buffalo, New York one time, and he said to me, and it wasn't sarcastic, it was a legit question. He said to me, Okay, I hear you talking about Jesus' love for us. Man, there's times in my life I just want to throw a stinking bear hug around Jesus, and I don't know how to do it because I can't see him. Legit question, right? Completely, 100% legit question, not from a place of cynicism or sarcasm or being weird. He was just saying, I just want to just crunch Jesus with a hug. I just want to squish him. John 14, 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. He goes on, Jesus goes on to say in verse 23, he says, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. Now we consider the gospel because to want to love Jesus, to love Jesus, we have to understand what love is. In 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. There is no way to love him fully until you understand his great love for us. You see, this mission is too big. 
is too heavy. It's too weighty to be inspired by guilt. It's too big. It's too weighty to be inspired by somehow I can earn something from God. So I'm going to live on mission because I'm going to get something from God if I do this. This desire to obey comes from a place of love. First, understanding his love for us. That while we were still sinners, while we were in the midst of our sin, he came and died just at the right time. And our response out of that is, I just love him. I just love him. And I don't know what you grew up learning or what you heard about why you should get in the game and love Jesus. But when one understands what he did and accomplished on our behalf, everything changes. And the disciples fought and the church fought often at the cost of their very life to obey him because he loved them. Now we love him. The question of the hour for the believers in Acts is the same question we are faced with today. How do I throw myself into that work in doing what Jesus has said? Do I see my family? Do I see my workplace? Do I see my friendships in the specific places that God has called me to make disciples? Or do I see it as somebody else's job? Do I say that's for the professionals? Tell that to the disciples. Tell that to the fishermen. Tell that to the corrupt tax gatherer. Tell that to the, the person who was known around as having the sinful reputation. Tell that to those people that the professionals will make disciples. Tell that to the woman at the well who went home and told her whole village about who Jesus is and how he sat with her and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Tell her that making disciples is for professionals. And if I can, if I can speak honestly with you here, I hope that I can. You alone are not the body of Christ. You by yourself are not the body of Christ. We are a body because there's many parts. And if you're walking around by yourself thinking you are alone the church, you're not. Because when we suffer for doing good, we suffer with others for doing good. When we are cursed for speaking truth, we find blessing from others who speak truth. And when I'm pressed by life circumstances, I am spurred on by others who have been pressed by life circumstances to fix my eyes on Jesus. The enemy's plan, please hear me, the enemy's plan is to keep you as isolated from the mission of God as he possibly can. If I can talk real with you, because I'd love to talk real right now, if you have the thought, well, I just don't fit in with those people, or they're not like me, or I don't, I don't get along with them, so I should probably stay by myself. Do you think that's an original thought? Do you feel like you're the only person who has ever had that thought before in the life of the church? Can I tell you that's the most unoriginal thought ever? Because it's what the enemy does. The enemy says, you don't belong there. They're going to think they're the only one who thinks that. 
You're going to think, well, I just am not like them. I'm different. I'm cut from a different cloth than some of them folks are. I, I just have different opinions, so I should probably not be a part of it. That is the most unoriginal thought that one can have. And I am begging you to see the enemy's plan to isolate you so that, and you know, I know some of you are like, isolation, that sounds great. <laughs> Let me finish. The enemy's desire is to get you alone to kill you. Not, not quickly. Not to take you into the alley outside of our church where our Elevate kids play. <laughs> but to take you outside and to slowly kill you. No gifts being used to build up the church. Only me time. No pouring out, only being fattened. No risk or sacrifice, only safety. No dreams or visions for a big God, only visions of Netflix and cell phone screens. No shared lives, only hoarded individualism. And you know the sad part is? I actually like the sound of the latter, don't you? Like I actually kind of go... Oh, man, when I close my eyes, I see the Netflix logo coming up. And my heart flutters some. Yours does too. This is a slow death. Jesus came announcing a kingdom, lived that kingdom, and in doing so, painted a picture of what God looks like and how we were meant to live as his people. When you close your eyes and envision your dreams, God's work, what is the highest and grandest sight you see? Is it your Netflix screen, your cell phone, your couch time? Or is it a vision of the kingdom of God swelling around you? Is it, is it hope for those who have been written off? Is it life for those who are pursuing death? Is it light for those who believe they have been sentenced to darkness? And believe me, there are many who believe that is their sentence. Truth to help those chained to lies. I want you to know this is how the enemy works. He desires to steal your resolve to believe that God is able to rescue people. You've written people off in your head and your heart before they've even heard the truth that Jesus is who he says he is. It's the enemy's plan. If he can get you to walk without hope for other people, it's going to trickle into your life as well. The question of the hour is how do I throw myself into the work that Jesus said to do? As the band comes and closes this morning, the resolve of the disciples was to obey Jesus. Why? Because they loved him. But honestly, I almost believe that they knew that they were loved by him. Yeah, they had a love for him. And I love how John in his gospel says, the one whom Jesus loved. That is such a humbling statement. It's not him going, well, this book was written by the one who loved Jesus. I love Jesus the most. No, he was actually making the most true statement about himself that he could, the one whom Jesus loved. What have you addressed yourself as that? Did that change how you walked? Would it change what you gave your time to? Would it change where you poured your life out? I know Jesus loved me. 
resolve is that God alone fuels this kind of love and giving and sacrifice. It's why he, did, he told us, don't do this without me. Don't do this without the power of me dwelling in you. It's too heavy a mission to think you can do this on your own. It's too heavy a mission to think that you can earn something from God to step into this mission. It's too heavy a mission to be spurred on by guilt. But it's what he made you and me for. Forming relationships with those I didn't think I would. Rearranging my schedule to see kingdom moments and everyday moments the same. Parenting to see my children experiencing kingdom moments. Making room to live and play around those who could care less about Jesus. This resolve only flows from a place of love. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul's prayer. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I don't have a creative way to say obey Jesus. How can I creatively say you are called to die? How can I creatively say you need to pick up your cross? How can I creatively say you will be hated because of Jesus? How can I creatively say we will experience trouble in this life? You'll be accused of being old-fashioned and closed-minded. You will have people turn their backs on you because of Jesus' name. But if Jesus' words are true, those who set down their lives for the sake of Christ truly find their lives. I'm pleading and begging you to consider if the Father's words alone lead to eternal life, will you hear them? Historically, I've had a lot of jobs over my lifetime and my kids like to laugh at me about that. They think I was fired from every one of them, which is not true. Never been fired. But even having lots of jobs, there's only been one mission. Waiting tables, playing and coaching basketball, tossing luggage and loading airplanes, hosing down amusement park toilets, mixing drinks, grinding beans, delivering car parts, framing houses. All new people to pray for, all new friendships to build, to share the kingdom with, and to talk about Jesus. Working hard while creating well. Wrapping my brain around the invitation of Jesus to go and make disciples. I dare you to read the book of Acts. I'll even read it with you. This morning as we close, we are going to be sharing a meal together. Bread and juice, that bread representing the body of Christ, that juice 
representing the blood of Christ that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sin. Without him, we have no mission. With Jesus, we have mission, identity, purpose, and everything we need to accomplish what he's asked us to do. And it's by faith we take hold of that. And so if you in this room find yourself a believer in that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the one who came, lived, died, rose from the dead, and has extended new life to you, you can take this meal. We don't have an ID card or anything that we hand out. If you're visiting and you still have questions, please feel free to sit and observe. You don't have to do anything. But if you find yourself going, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, we want to invite you to this table. You've heard from Scott this morning talk about ABCCM. I want to continue to ask you to make those uncomfortable steps. Don't let I've never done that before be an excuse, but to go. And we're going to have some people standing over on this side of the room who would just love to pray for you. If you're at a place where you're just like, there's so much, I don't even know where to start. Would you pray for me? They will. But the resolve was, as simply as we can say it, to obey Jesus. Father, we love you, and I just ask that as we spend time singing these songs and remembering what you've done through this meal together, that we would not be in a rush to get past your presence, but that we would know that it is your presence that gives us life. May we not visit your presence, but may we live in your presence. It's in your name we pray.